Well, here we go. Good morning, Crossing. Here we are, or, or should I say, here I am with Tyler Dell up in the booth, and then my wife and daughter, Rita and Madison, in the house, and there you are, wherever that is. Um, we are here in the, the new normal, so to speak. It's been an interesting month, uh, to say the least. Uh, uh, as we said, we have these new normal patterns of our lives, uh, this thing called social distancing. If you look at our communion cups, they must have got the message because they are exactly six feet apart from one another, actually six inches apart from one another. Uh, maybe other, other ways our new normal is maybe you've gone to the grocery store and you guys saw people just hoarding food and putting all this stuff in their carts. And my wife is like, hey, finally someone knows what it's like to shop for the Santini family. We are a family of seven, and then you add uh, JT's fiance Brooke, we are a family of eight. So finally, people get to uh, feel what she feels on a weekly basis. But it's a new normal. It's, uh, the coronavirus is changing the world. And as you guys know, one of my favorite verses is Psalm 118.24, where it says, this is the day that the Lord has made we will, or let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I have to admit that today, it's kind of a bittersweet day. I'm rejoicing that the, this is the day of the Lord. I'm rejoicing, but at the same time, it's a little, little, little bitter. A little bitter. For the, the past 10 years since the crossing has existed, we have only not met once as a large group on Sunday morning. That was because there was a severe ice storm when we first started planning, uh, when we first planted the church. But today is the second. So 500 and, out of 520 Sundays, um, we've missed two. It's a little bit bittersweet because I miss seeing your face right now. I miss seeing the hundreds of people fill up this room, their passion for Jesus, your smiles, uh, your energy, your joy. Um, you guys singing in song, us lifting our voices up with one voice singing to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's a little, it's a little sad right now to preach to an empty room except for Tyler, my wife, and Maddie. But at the same time, it's, it's sweet. Why? Because one, uh, we know we can rejoice because the Lord is on the throne. This, this didn't take Jesus by surprise. He actually ordained this coronavirus to come to pass. He has a purpose for it. And so in that, we rejoice. I also rejoice because we get to execute our, our ministry model, our, our philosophy of ministry here at the crossing. As you guys know, that have been around the crossing and call the crossing home, we have two main pillars, our Sunday gathering where the church comes together as a large group to, to worship Jesus. Well, that's going to look a little different over the next, I don't know, eight weeks or so. We're not going to be able to gather in our large group context. But at the same time, we have our small group. That's our second pillar, our life groups, where we get together normally during the week in smaller contexts, and we just get to execute that ministry. So even though this coronavirus has come and has turned the world upside down, it won't turn the world here at the crossing upside down. We can still be stable because this is part of our ministry rhythms, that we do gather in smaller groups during the week, but we even have to get smaller because most of our groups, all of our groups are bigger than 10 people. So to obey the law of the land and the government that we have to even break up our life groups into smaller groups. If you guys recall, we, we also wanted to emphasize journey groups at the beginning of this year. And the, actually what the coronavirus is going to do is going to help us execute our mission. It's going to help us execute our mission because now we have to get together on a more consistent basis in groups of two, three, or four, or five. So actually, this coronavirus, in a way, is a good thing because it's going to help us even get more connected in our journey groups. So this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Well, today we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. So let me go ahead and read First uh, Peter. We'll pray and then we get into it. First Peter 3, 8 through 12. It says this. It says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Verse 9 says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For 
Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue or her tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Why? For verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let us pray. Father, this is the day that you have made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Because we already said that we know that you are on the throne and you have a purpose for this worldwide epidemic, pandemic. Lord, we, it causes us to pause. It causes us to reevaluate our lives. It's causing the world to reevaluate its life, its culture. And for us, the good news is we get to look up. We know that there is a creator God who has ordained this and who has, and is leading this for your glory and for our joy. And so right now, I just want to pray for all those, really, this, 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 this virus affects everyone. I particularly want to think that we think of the, those in the medical field, the doctors, the nurses, uh, those, the admin, the CDC, uh, the government, uh, Really, pray for them. Give them an extra measure of grace. Give them an extra measure of wisdom on how to combat this enemy, this virus that has again swept over the world. Give them an extra measure of grace of, of energy, of, of stamina, that they can operate um, as their body is, is getting worn down mentally and physically, that they can serve and give their lives to help people in need. Lord, really, this affects everyone. I think of all the, the job market right now and, and how it's affecting um, this whole world. People are, are losing their jobs. Some are anxious about losing their jobs. So Lord, just, just give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, let us look to Psalm 46. God is our refuge. God is our refuge in our strong tower and an ever-present help in trouble. Let us let our mind go there. Let our mind go to Philippians chapter 4. And let us not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, give us this heart that we're not anxious, but we have a peace. And we have a peace because we understand that you are on your throne and you are working this out for your glory, and for our joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All righty, 1 Peter chapter 3. As I already mentioned, we are living in an interesting time. We're living in a day of social isolation and now distancing. And we are doing this because of this coronavirus. And I think this morning, Peter's message, verses uh, 8 through 12 in chapter 3, is perfect for us, is right on time. And the reason why is it will help us fight for the relational unity we need in a time where it seems like we're in isolation. It will help us fight for the relational unity we need to get us through this worldwide trial. Uh, the winsome commands from Peter to us this morning will bring us together, will keep us united inside the church, even though, again, we are apart. And it will also give us a winsome, a winsome witness to those outside the church. So this morning, this message from Pastor Peter is going to guide our hearts. And so get ready to implement these commands, these exhortations, and be ready to be an agent of change for the glory of God the good of your literal neighbors, and for your joy. In fact, this message is going to help us be the church. Be the church. So let's look at it. First one, point one. How you and I can be winsome in the church. How you and I can be winsome in the church. Look at First Peter chapter 3, verse 8. He says, finally, all of you. Now stop right there. All of you. If you guys were here, I would stop and point, finally, all of you. I would be pointing to each one of you. This is a command to all of us, all of us who make up his church. What Peter is doing, and when he says finally, is he's writing, wrapping up this section of thought uh, that we have been walking through for the past several weeks. It began in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. So Peter says finally, or in summary to this section of thought, Peter is urging us 
us as the sojourners and exiles, as we saw in verse 11, that is all of you, sojourners and exiles, to live a life that is honorable to a watching world. That's what this main section is about, that we are to live an honorable life to a watching world. We see that an honorable life, Peter says, is one that abstains from the passions of the flesh. That is in a battle, in a war with the flesh. We see uh, the honorable life is one who walks in doing good and obeying the commands of Scripture. We see that an honorable life is one who submits to the government. We, right now, as a crossing church, are obeying this command. As a church, we are obeying the governments, and we have done this for over the past months as they start to roll out their recommendations. We are living an honorable life because we are obeying, we are submitting to the government at this point in time. Then it tells us to submit in the workplace and submit in the home. But this morning, Peter kind of puts a bow on this section for all of us. And he commands us, he commands us, he exhorts us to have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now, whenever we see a list in the in scriptures, we can tend to just rip through the list and really not sit and think about what the list is about. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to take a, a little bit of time, hit the, hit the brakes and kind of cruise through these five commands or exhortations. I even thought about just preaching on chapter eight, uh, verse eight this morning because it's so important. Because what Peter is saying is that all of us should experience these five virtues in the church. And not only should we experience them, but these are the five virtues that all of us should be obeying. This is what true community is built on. We are built as living stones on the foundation, the cornerstone of Christ. These five attributes would make up the, the house of Christ, the windows, the, the trim, the door. These five attributes should define what the church should experience inside its walls and outside its walls. This is what true community looks like and experiences. This is what true friendship is. Remember the context of the letter. These exiles, these sojourners were outside. When they were outside the church at their jobs, in their, playing in their hobbies, they were being persecuted. They were being harassed. They were being slandered for their faith. Because they believed in Jesus. And so therefore, when they would leave their work, they would need a place, they would need a people to go to where they would feel loved, where they would feel secure, where they would feel like there are people around them that think the same way. They would be around a people that would walk through life with them, that would be sympathetic. This place, Peter says, should be the church. This is us. Peter's command, these are, again, five relational attributes. The key word is relational attributes, virtues that we should experience here at the crossing. And the first one sets the tone. The first one sets the tone right off the bat. Peter says, he commands us, have unity of mind. He tells us to be united, be like-minded, literally to live in harmony with one another. So how does this happen? Let's pause and think. How does this happen? How do we get hundreds of people that call the crossing to home to be like-minded, to have unity? I mean, we are people that are distinct, that are different in so many ways. Our backgrounds, how we grew up, our ethnicities, our, our personalities, our gifts, our passions, our likes, our dislikes, our, our view on politics and certain subjects, how we parent, our clothing styles, the music league we, we, we listen to. We are different, hundreds of different people with different passions. There's a saying that birds of a feather flock together. And, and the point of that is that people that are like-minded gather together. But that's not the church. Outside of Christ, we are not like-minded. Again, we are so different. And yet, for the past 10 years, we have gathered here every Sunday. Not only just on Sundays, but we've also met two or three times during the week as friends, as followers of Christ. We've shared one another's struggles and successes. 
And when we stop to think about it, it really is a miracle that we come together and have come together for the past 10 years. How is it possible with all of our differences for us to be united? Well, there's only one answer. There's only one explanation. We are united because of the gospel. We are united because of our faith in Jesus Christ in His life, in His death, in His resurrection, that our lives through repentance and faith are built on the cornerstones. That we are living stones, as Peter said, that are built upon one another. We are united because we are united in Christ. We have been, by the mercies of God, been born again. And because of this amazing truth, we can have unity of mind. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, because of Christ, because of the gospel, because we have repented and trusted in Jesus, we are one body, a one spirit. We have one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God the Father, and one salvation. There was once a, a precious member here at the crossing named Chevis Balloon. Many of us remember Chevis and Danielle, a great couple. About, I think about four years ago, we sent them uh, to Durango to help with a church plant out there. Uh, but after a year of coming, Chevis uh, yeah, wasn't afraid to speak his mind. And after about a year coming to the crossing, he confessed to me one day in the, in the, in the foyer right outside. He said, Aaron... He says, if I were ever to come in contact with you outside the church context, we would not be friends. In fact, he said, I have no desire to ever be around you. And I thought, well, well, thanks, Chevis. That's encouraging, you know, right before I'm getting ready to go preach. But because, he said, because in high school I ran into some athletes and, and had a bad experience, particularly with baseball players. And because of that experience, I have hated baseball players. So he said, but, but because of Jesus, because of the gospel, he says, now I love you, and I love baseball players. And that's what the gospel does. The gospel brings people together who are diverse. That's one reason why Paul says the gospel is of first importance. This is why the rest of the attributes flow from this one truth, unity of mind, because it's built and based on the gospel, which is of first importance. This unity, this harmony sets the tone and is the foundation of all of our relationships here at the crossing and what they are built on. We walk, we think, and we live in unity because of the gospel. So, so this week, and really every day, continue to bathe your mind and heart in the gospel. This is why the crossing, since day one, has been a gospel-centered church. Because this is the foundation that brings us together to be the church. Second, have sympathy for one another. Be sympathetic. Romans 8 puts it like this. Paul says like this. It's, it's weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Be sympathetic means to enter into another's situation. Here it is. To feel the same thing as another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says when one body part hurts we all hurt. That's what it means to be sympathetic, that we feel what one another is going through. Now, here's the thing about sympathy. If we are to enter into each other's feelings, each other's worlds, into each other's situations, we have to be around each other. We have to be present. We cannot be isolated from this body, from the church. We have to be involved from the church. I love how one puts it like this. He says, to be sympathetic, we have to live face to face, not keyboard to keyboard or text message to text message. This is so good in our kind of context with our social media and all the streams that we have with Facebook and Instagram and text messages. For us to be sympathetic to one another, for us to be the church and feel one another's pain and enter into one another's lives, we have to do that face to face. We have to be present. And I think one of the best ways we can do this, enter and feel the same thing with one another, is by listening is by listening. James tells us to be quick to hear and slow to speak. Now, I personally am not a good listener. The Lord has really had to work that in my life, in particular with my wife. And I think most of us, <coughs> excuse me, in particular men are not good listeners. Um, we don't listen long enough before we speak. 
Uh, And I think the reason why is for me, and as most men, we are to be fixers. So as Daniel taught last week about husbands living in an understanding way with their wives, this is a great way we can live with our wives in a way we can enter into their lives and be sympathetic when they are walking through a difficult time, is we can be good listeners. Uh, My wife and I like to tell uh, premarital couples and even us when when they're talking, they're dialoguing, that we listen with our eyes. We, We listen with our eyes. We're face to face to enter in. It it goes like this sometimes when I'm in a conversation with my wife or someone going through a difficult time, and as they are describing it, I think, oh, I've gone through that. And instead of listening to the rest of their story, instead of listening to, to their feelings and where they're at, I immediately share my experience. I immediately jump in and want to help them through their situation. Oh, this is what helped me in my situation. And in that moment, I actually think I'm being sympathetic. I actually think I'm being helpful. I actually think I'm entering into their trial. But in reality, what's happening is I turned the situation around. It's no longer them and their feelings, their heart, their situation that's on display, it's now me. I've turned the conversation to me. To me. Now, anyone else in here do this? Go ahead and raise your hand. Oh, gotcha. All right, good. Yeah, I think, again, a lot of us do this. Now, what I'm not saying is we, we don't ever share our experiences or how we got through that difficult situation. There, there is a time for that. Just be mindful on how and when you do that. Be sympathetic to the one that you are listening to. So to obey this command, let the gospel lead you to listen and not make it about yourself, but consider the other person more important. Enter in. Be sympathetic. So this week, when someone is sharing that they're going through a difficult time because they've been cooped up in their house, just listen. Listen, enter into their experiences, enter into their world and what they are feeling. And don't jack it up with your experience right now. Don't share your experience unless they ask. Be a good listener. Be sympathetic, Peter says. Thirdly, he says to have brotherly love. To love one another. Imagine that. Imagine that. Love makes a list of how Christians should treat other Christians. How we should interact with one another. That we should love one another. And this is, of course, a sacrificial love. For God so loved the world that He what? That He gave His Son. Christian love is a sacrificial love. We sacrifice our time, our talents, and our treasure. And I had a number of conversations with many of you asking how and showing your love to others during this last several months during this virus. And this is what I love about you, the crossing. What I love is, is I didn't have to go back into church history to find examples of love. I didn't have to uh, quote other famous pastors about examples of love. I just had to look at you. I just had to look at your lives. Your, your faces came to mind in all the ways in which you love one another. I think of Andy Lindbergh who texted us as soon as all this stuff started to go down. He said, I would, uh, I'm available to help in any way I can. Getting groceries for folks. Helping with the streaming, the live service. Just let me know and I will be there. I think of Jacob Lees. We had a great conversation. Yes, this, this virus is affecting us physically and, and it's, and, and it's caused some death in some families and stuff and we need to mourn that. But I think we talked about that there's going to be a financial wave that's going to hit that might even be worse than the physical wave. And, 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 and how we have this benevolence fund to come around, first and foremost, our body than those outside. But the scripture says, first do good to those in the household of faith. And so we talked about how we can get the word out. Daniel has put a, a form online, like if you're in need and you need some financial help, let us come around and love you and serve you and love you with our finances. I love what Albert Chen did the other day. He said we have a we have to be creative to stay connected because of the social distancing, etc. And we want to we want to use wisdom and exercise that so we don't we don't make the situation worse. But but he said, hey I'm just going to do an impromptu online uh, on Zoom. 
He sent that out to the, to the man school list on the realm. And he says at 8.30, if any men want to get on, there's no agenda. It's just like we want to see each other face to face. How are you doing? I think of Shelly, who's opening her, her door to a young lady in our church who's in a difficult situation and needs a room. And Shelly's like, I got a room. She can come serve me. This, these are the examples of love. These are the examples that immediately came to mind when I thought of loving one another. I thought of you. We do a good job at obeying this command here at the crossing. Sacrificial love. Our times, our talent, our treasures. And it's only going to get more opportunity for us to do that. And I, and I can't wait. I can't wait when we get through this virus to hear have all the ways and how you guys have loved one another. There are going to be some crazy, awesome things that are going to be like off the charts, but most of us, how we love one another, it's going to be in the everyday mundane things of life. It's, it's going to be picking up a phone and just say, hey man, I'm thinking of you, I'm praying for you. Uh, how can I serve you? It's going to be things like that. I can't wait to hear the stories of how you have loved one another. So, Think about this week, how you can be a lover of the people of the crossing of Christ's church this week. Fourth, it says, have a tender heart. This is kind of funny because in the original language, it means to have strong bowels. And you're like, come again, Peter, to have strong bowels. That doesn't sound too tender hearted. Well, the bowels in ancient culture, the midsection, kind of the heart through the guts was kind of where they believed the seat of emotions were. This is where your passions were. This is where you felt things in life, in your bowels. This is where they would feel for one another, in their gut. And we can get this. We understand this feeling because we have the same feeling. We, we have, all of us in here, have gotten butterflies at some point, right? Whether it was before a game, you know, you get this little feeling in your gut, in your stomach area. Uh, whether it was before a job interview, you've gotten butterflies. Or we, or we say this, I have a gut feeling about something. This is where we also feel our emotions. And so this idea of being, having strong bowels, it needs to be tender-hearted. Uh, another word might be compassionate. Have a heart that's tender. Now in Peter's ministry, in Peter's life, he had a front row seat to Jesus' ministry. He had a front row seat to Jesus' compassion. And his tended hardness for the world. And it didn't matter who you are, Jesus was there to show compassion. One of my favorite verses when he was looking over the crowd and it said, uh, Jesus felt compassion because the people were like a sheep without a shepherd. There are several other instances where Jesus showed compassion. Again, one of my favorites is when he raised Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. We know the story. John's good friend Lazarus died. And he arrives about four days after Lazarus died. He's, Lazarus is already in the tomb. He sees how it's wrecked Mary and Martha. He's seen the chaos that Lazarus' death has caused in the community. And when he went to the tomb, it says that Jesus, what? He wept. Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, see, oh, how he loved him. But here's the kicker. Earlier in John eleven twenty three, Jesus told Martha that your brother Lazarus will be raised from the dead. So if Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, why did he weep? What's the purpose of weeping? Where he knew he was going to raise him seconds later or minutes later. Because Jesus was a man of compassion. He had a tender heart. He saw the effects of sin and death and the effects it had on the people he loved and it made his heart Sad. Sad. He was a man of compassion. This should be our hearts. We should be a church of compassion, especially to those who are suffering, especially those who are suffering in the church. This should be our heart's posture, tenderhearted, compassionate. We again, we should feel their struggle, their pain. I love how one said it this way. The church ought to be the place where the walking wounded feel the most compassion. The church ought to be the place where the walking wounded feel the most compassion. Amen.
So who do you need to show compassion to here at the crossing this week? This week, who, where do you need to enter in and be tenderhearted with someone in the crossing this week? Someone in the church. Remember, these commands are inside the church right now. Inside the church. This should be the experience of the crossing that we should have compassion. Fifth, it says this last command Peter gives us is to have a humble mind. It means to be humble. C.S. Lewis probably gave the greatest definition of, of humility. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. This, this command would have been shocking to the original audience because in the Roman culture, being humble was not considered a virtue. In our culture, we think, oh, that... That, that athlete, he's humble, or that person, he or she is humble. We, we, we see it as a virtue. Humility is a virtue. In this culture, it was not seen as a virtue. It was seen as a weakness. One said this, only weak people are humble people. Only weak people are humble people. The, the Romans love the qualities of pride, self-confidence, the ability to assert yourself over others. Humility was a weakness. This would have been, again, a staggering command to those of Peter's day. When we think about humility in the world and the situation that we're in, the world is getting a taste of humble pie right now, is it not? But here's the thing. Humility was forced on this world. Humility is not something natural outside in the world. They would look more like the Roman culture. But for Christian, Christian humility isn't forced, isn't thrown upon us, but it is a virtue when one has been born again. It is a virtue of the gospel. It is a virtue because we see our lives through the lens of the gospel. I have in my Bible the statement that the pastor made many years ago. I don't know when I wrote it in my Bible. But in the front of my Bible, I have this statement. It says this. How can anyone be prideful when they are standing next to the cross? How can we as Christians be prideful, can be arrogant, when we're standing next to the cross? It's impossible. Humility demands that we get our eyes off ourselves and on the needs of others. So Peter commands us to be humble, to Not think of yourself, but think of yourself less. Look to others around you and their needs. These are the five commands. These are the five exhortations that Peter calls us on to be the church. This is what we are to obey. We are to be those that are unified, that those are have sympathy, that those um, are tender-hearted, that those who um, have brotherly love, and that those who have a, hundred, a humble mind. So, which, which one of these do you need to focus on this week? Which one of these do you need to focus on this week and obey? Which one? Second, how can you and I be winsome outside the church? We looked at what, how to be winsome inside the church. Now how can we be winsome outside the church? 1 Peter 3, 9-12, through 12, it says this, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for those, for this is what you were called, so that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from his evil and do good. Let him seek the peace and pursue it. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Remember, and we, we just remind ourselves that, that Peter was a disciple of Jesus. He, he had watched Jesus' life for three years. He lived with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He learned from Jesus. He saw what Jesus did on a daily basis. And like a good disciple, Peter retained a lot of what Jesus taught him and the others. In fact, you already caught it already in our, in our study through 1 Peter that we see Jesus' teaching all over 1 Peter. And here we have another clear example of what Peter learned from Jesus, and now he is passing it on to us. 
Here's a summary thought of verses 9 through 12. Do not repay evil for evil, but on contrary, bless. Because the Lord is watching to reward the righteous and will be against those who do evil. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like anything that Jesus taught during his ministry? Again, we have to remember the situation that Peter is writing to. They're being severely persecuted for being Christian, for following Jesus. We looked at this in 1 Peter 12, uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 12, where it says, following Jesus, the culture would look at the followers of Christ, see what they do, and they would say, that is evil. You are doing evil following Jesus. I point out that Christians were seen as cannibals, as atheists, as sexual perverts. But in the midst of this slander, in the midst of this persecution, Peter says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't shout back. Don't slander back. But instead, bless. And again, Peter learned this from Jesus. In fact, this, this, this attribute of not retaliating was at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry and at the very end of Jesus' ministry and throughout. Peter learned this lesson firsthand when Jesus went on the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus' first powerful sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, where he says, Blessed are the peacemakers. He didn't say, Blessed are those who retaliate. No, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Didn't say, blessed are those who protect themselves for righteousness' sake. No, blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who who are reviled and persecuted, for your reward is great in heaven. So at the very beginning, Peter heard this from Jesus. When people come against you and persecute you and slander you, for your faith, you do not retaliate, but you bless. And at the end of Jesus' ministry, when Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, They came to arrest Jesus. We know Peter was there packing heat, concealed carry, his sword. He rips it out, cuts off an ear. But what does Jesus do? He steps in immediately. And he says, Peter, Peter, put your sword down. Those who live by the sword, die by the sword. He's saying, Peter, don't repay evil for evil. So we see that this has been a virtue Ever since Jesus' ministry, since it began, that when we're persecuted for our faith, we don't retaliate. Now, I don't know about you, but in the situation of the Garden of Gethsemane, I, I can't, I, I don't blame Peter for retaliating. Do you? It's, it's not, it's, this, is not a, this is not natural for many of us. When people come against us and persecute us and slander us, our immediate response is to defend, is to retaliate. We are not by nature pacifists. Let me prove my point. I didn't have to teach my my children when they were younger to retaliate. I had to teach them not to retaliate. When my boys, say JT and Nate, were about you know three or four years old, JT would take Nate's toy. I didn't have to tell Nate. Now Nate, I didn't have to take him aside. Now JT just took your toy. So this is what you need to do. You need to find whatever you can. You need to grab it. And then you need to go and hit JT as hard as you can with that. I didn't have to teach, I didn't have to teach Nate that. No, he instinctively knew how to do that on his own. I had to teach all of my kids not to repay evil with evil, but to bless, to share. Now I've seen some of your kids and you need to do the same. You need to do the same, don't you? It's part of human nature to retaliate to protect when someone assaults us. But here's the thing, this fleshly desire does not go away as you get older. In fact, it probably even gets stronger because now you can act it out. It's a constant battle not to retaliate. And again, real quickly, of course we're not saying do not protect our family. If someone breaks into my house tonight and tries to steal something or tries to hurt my family, I am called to protect them. I am called to meet force with force. This is talking about when others slander you or disrespect you or revile you and persecute you because of your faith. You don't retaliate. And I think as we look at these verses um, right now, they might not, <clears throat> excuse me, they might not seem as, as crucial for us right now living in the United States, but 
I think in the coming years, as the culture gets more and more secular and continues to reject Jesus and Christianity, um, this, this passage is going to become more and more relevant for us. Like our brothers and sisters who are living in China or India or in the Middle East are being persecuted for their faith, for following Jesus like these believers were in First Peter. The time is coming. So prepare your hearts and mind right now that when we are persecuted, that we don't repay evil for evil, slander for slander, reviling for reviling, but what we do is we turn away, we do good, and we seek peace, as Peter says. And why do we do this? Verse 9 says, for this is where you were called. You were called. You were called to be an example when people assail you not to retaliate, but to bless. And when you do this, you're going to turn some people's worlds upside down because they're expecting you to retaliate. But when your response is a blessing, hey man, please forgive me, I didn't mean to get in your way, I didn't mean to frustrate you. Or, hey man, I'm going to be praying for you. They're not going to know what to do with you. And when you do that, when you don't retaliate, when you do good, it says that you may attain a blessing. And here, Peter quotes Psalm 34, 12 through 16 in verse 10. The question is, well, what's the blessing? Well, it's not salvation because that's already been attained and only attained by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection about the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world. Only He can obtain salvation. And we receive that salvation by repentance and faith. So what's the blessing here? The blessing is that we love, as I said in verse 10, to love life and see good days. That's the blessing. It begins here and now on earth. When we are being persecuted and we don't retaliate, God said there's a blessing there. That life will become lovely and that we see good days. Now we're like, wait a second, that does not make sense. How can it be a good day when I'm being persecuted? Because here's the deal. Those who are in Christ and being persecuted is a good day, is a life that is filled with the love of Christ for those who don't know Jesus and having a great day. You see, even in the midst of persecution, we can love life and have good days. One said this. He says, with God in control, even persecution cannot make good days bad. There are not many writers, ancient or modern, who would think of having good days under persecution. You see, but for the Christian, when we are persecuted, we can have good days. Now, it's not saying we don't hurt, we don't weep. It's not a struggle. No, those feelings are real and we feel that. But in the midst of that, Peter has already kind of already addressed this point that there's something happening to us as the Christians. First Peter 1 6 says that, the, that, that when we go through these trials, we know that these trials are only temporary and they will pass. So we know that could be a good day because we know there's better days ahead for us where there is no sin, there is no persecution, this just glory and eternal joy in heaven with Christ. We know that these, these, these trials will pass. We know that the reason why these persecutions and trials are coming is because our faith is being tested. Our faith is being proved that we truly belong to the King. That causes us to have good days in the midst of trial. First Peter 1.12 says, We are so loved and cared for that even the angels long to look and how much God loves us. That can help us get through persecution, knowing that God will never leave us or forsake us. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. It's so magnificent that even the angels are looking and they, they don't understand it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, that we have, says that we have tasted and see that the Lord is good and faithful. Even in the midst of trials, we see that the Lord provides and cares for us. 1 Peter 2, 4, as living stones, we are being built upon the cornerstone of Christ Jesus, and nothing is going to be able to topple this house. Nothing is ever going to be able to destroy this house. These are some of the ways in which Peter says that when persecution hits us, we can love life and have good days. So it begins here and now. We keep our eyes focused on Christ. Secondly, not only here and now, but extends towards, again, eternity. This blessing we will, we will we reap with Christ in heaven. Again, Matthew 5.11 says, Blessed are those who revile and persecute you, for your reward is great in heaven. That's why we can have good days through persecution. Because we understand that we are being saved 
not only from something, but we often be saved to something. And that is to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven in eternal joy. Let me just end. Let me just end with one real practical way we can be winsome in our relationships, both inside and outside the church. I've already given you a number of practical ways, but let me just, just zero it down to one. We can pray. We can pray. First, we can pray for those outside the church. When people persecute us, as I mentioned, how do we bless them? We can most bless them by praying for them. We can most bless them by praying for them and their soul. That God would have mercy on them just as he did on you when you were an enemy of God. We see the Lord ends, Peter ends this section that says the Lord's face is against them. When we sit and pause and think of those who are persecuting us in our own lives, Lord, uh, our own lives, and we know that the Lord's righteous anger is against them, that, that, should, that should cause us pause to pray for them, to pray for them, to pray for their souls, to pray for them, that, as Peter says, that as they come against you, that they will see your good works. They will see that you don't respond with force on force, but you respond with blessing. That they will see your honorable life. And then Lord, the Lord would use that to turn their hearts to Jesus. So we can pray for them. Second, inside the church. The best way we can serve one another is through prayer. I think is through prayer. Or one of the ways. One of the best ways is through prayer. This, this past number of weeks, we've been we're part of the Crossway Chapel Network, as you know, and, and we've been in contact with, pat, with pastors all over the world. And in this past week, we got together and had our, our, our kind of our network meeting on, on how, how, do we, how do we manage our churches through this. And I loved how um, uh, Ben Sandsburn talked about this, what they're doing up at Summit. They're in the, really up in Washington. They're in the heart of it where the biggest outbreak has, has, has taken place was, was when in Washington. He, he's right there, and he says this, that, that their church is doing something. They're doing what's called seven at seven. So at 7 p.m. every night that because everyone's pretty much in the house and there's not any events to go to or, or you can't really go out and sit in the restaurant or whatnot, that most people now, which is a good thing, are sitting and having dinner in their homes around the table. Well, at 7 p.m. when they do this, they're going to pray for seven people in their church. And so I think, I think, man, what a, what a great way we could we could come across, we could, we could learn and we could, in a real practical way, love one another is by praying for each other. Whether it's seven at seven, whether it's six at six, whether it's five at five. Whenever you sit down as a family, whenever you sit down to eat dinner, that you would think of people in the crossing and specifically pray for them. How do you do that? He's like, well, I don't, I don't know how, who, you know, has you got a directory? Yes, we do have a directory. It's on the realm. Again, if you're not on the realm, you need to get on the realm. Daniel sent a leak on how to get out of the realm. This is where primarily, uh, primarily our, most of our communication is coming through here. But if you go on the realm and you click on community, and then a little thing drops down, and then click on directory, you have the list of, of everyone who signed up in the crossing. And from there, you can start praying for the people of the crossing. So that's a real practical way that we can serve one another in our relationships both inside and outside the church, as we can pray for one another. So again, 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. What a great message for us this morning for the time we find ourselves in. Let us be the church. First and foremost to each other, those in the church, let us do good and live honorably among one another and serve one another with these commands and exhortations that Peter has given us. But let us also Live honorably of those outside the church. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this message. Thank you for this time. Lord, thank you for social media where we can't gather physically, but we can gather through the interweb. Lord, it's a beautiful thing. Thank you that we do live in, again, the year 2020 and not in the 1600s where that would be impossible. We can still connect face to face. And Lord, I pray that the crossing will be agents of change here in Fort Collins in northern Colorado. First and foremost, with one another as we love one another, as we're people of, of unity 
as we're people of sympathy, of, of, of tender heart and compassion, as people who love one another and who people are humble. But also when we're outside in, in a world that is unstable, that is emotional, that might attack us and attack our God for, oh, you believe in this, he's allowing this to happen, that we would not revile in return. That we would not meet force on force, but that we would bless. That people inside the church and outside the church would know that we are people of compassion, a people of love, and a people of prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, at this time we're going to take communion. So you and your homes, you got the opportunity to take communion. Um, We're going to take it now. So um, Rita and Maddie, come on up. Tyler Dell, grab the elements, and then when you grab them, we'll take them together. And again, this is just a joy. The reason why Peter can give us these commands and exhortations because what Christ has done for us on the cross. In our pride, we would have never bent our knee to Jesus. But because He is a gracious and humble God, He came down out of heaven and showed us the way of humility, the way of the cross, the way of salvation. By thinking of our lives more important than themselves, He took up the cross and He died for our sins. So this bread, as we know, represents Jesus' body that was nailed to the cross, and this this juice represents His blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sin. So let's take this in remembrance of what Christ has done for us, who now gives us the ability to be agents of change in a world. Father, thank You again. Thank you again for the gospel. Thank you again that by the mercies of God we have been born again. Thank you again that you have given us your word to inform us. You have given us letters from like the Apostle Peter who learned directly from you as a disciple of Christ and now is passing on the way of the church to us. Lord, thank you that you have called us as ambassadors to go and be your spokesman and, and, and live out the gospel and share the gospel verbally with those who don't know Jesus because you use us to bring others into this kingdom. And this is a glorious kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's a kingdom that's built on grace, love, mercy, and hope. So let us set our minds on you, on this kingdom, as we walk through this difficult time in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Signing off.